We love to, uh, we love to sing and to talk about God's amazing grace, don't we? Um, uh, this song reminds me of, uh, uh, of an experience, of an encounter that I had uh, many years ago. Uh, this gentleman had, um, he, this family had invited uh, friends and family over to a gathering at, at their house, and in conversation, um, he, he began to share with me this amazing story of how he had experienced God's grace. He, he, uh, he talked about uh, this uh, car wreck that he had been in, this, this terrible car wreck that he had been in, and, and talked about how God had spared his life. And in fact, he had pictures of the car. And he said everybody who had ever seen the pictures of the car who were there on the scene, they said it was nothing but an act of God that he had survived this experience. And he said it had changed his life forever. And so I asked him, like, so, so how is it that it changed your life? And he says, well, I, I know that I now have purpose. I know that God loves me. I, I know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die because God saved me and he must have saved me for a purpose. And I said, so, so how has your life changed? And he said, well, I go to church more often than I used to. <laughs> well, now, I knew the gentleman and uh, he probably attended church about once a month. So that tells you, like, probably wasn't attending worship before. And, and, and so I said, so, so how has your life changed? What is this purpose to which God has called you? And, and he just looks at me kind of dumbfounded, like, well, I, I don't know. All I know is that God saved me by his grace. And he took the last drink out of his cup, and he turned around, and he staggered back to the keg uh, that the rest of his friends were surrounding, uh, to this party that he had gathered people, not to share the story of God's amazing grace in his life, but to this party, which for all I could see, the whole purpose of it was to see who could drink the most before they passed out. I wonder... How often it is that we experience God's amazing grace and we fail to respond to it in ways that show we truly understand God's grace. You see, sometimes God's grace is ignored and rejected to our own peril. And I want to suggest to you that the story that we read today from Genesis, as we continue to look at these first 11 chapters, is a story of God's grace abounding. But it's also a story of how humanity rejects that grace. And so I invite you to hear this story anew and afresh this day. Listen for God's grace in this story of Cain and Abel. Um, and you may remember, um, as we've been going through this, that, that Adam and Eve, um, they decided to trust themselves and to take a bite out of this fruit uh, from the tree of knowledge of, of, of good and evil. And they decided to trust themselves instead of God. And so they've been um, evicted from the garden because they cho chose to trust themselves more than they trusted God. Uh, but we, we know from the story that God did not abandon them, that God uh, remained in relationship with them, and, and they continued to worship God and to participate in the purposes God had given them, which was to, uh, to, to, to be good stewards of creation 
and to uh, fill the earth. And so we pick up the story in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The man, Adam, knew his wife Eve intimately. She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain and said, I have given life to a man with the Lord's help. She gave birth a second time to Cain's brother Abel. Abel cared for flocks, and Cain farmed the fertile ground. Sometime later, Cain presented an offering to the Lord from the land's crops, while Abel presented his flock's oldest offspring with their fat. The Lord looked favorably on Abel and his sacrifice, but didn't look favorably on Cain and his sacrifice. Cain became angry and looked resentful. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why do you look so resentful? If you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do the right thing, sin is waiting at the door, ready to strike. It will entice you, but you must rule over it. And Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? And the Lord said, What did you do? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. You are now cursed from the ground that opened its mouth to take your brother's blood from your hand. When you farm the fertile land, it will no longer grow anything for you, and you will become a roving nomad on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Now that you have driven me away from the fertile land and I will be hidden from your presence, I am about to become a roving nomad on the earth and anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, it won't happen. Anyone who kills Cain will be paid back seven times. The Lord put a sign on Cain so that no one who found him would assault him. Cain left the Lord's presence, and he settled down in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Everyone with ears to hear this morning, hear the word of God and respond. This this has become one of my most favorite stories in Scripture. Uh, we, we see this, this beautiful picture of Adam and Eve outside the garden. We see that God is still present and active in their lives. We see that they, they give birth to two children, and there is, there is joy and celebration and, and happiness. One of the children uh, chooses to be a farmer, and the other decides to be a herder, and all seems well until they go out to worship one day. Now, of all places, this is not the place where I expect problems to begin. And yet, we see right here in this chapter that as they go out and they make offerings to God, each, um, each of the children making an offering of that which their hands, whether it be, uh, of, whether it be crops of the field or whether it be a sheep, offering it up to God as part of their worship. And we're told for whatever reason that God pays particular attention to what Abel offers up and pays very little attention to what Cain has offered up. Now, it's interesting because in the story it doesn't tell us why God seemed to favor Abel's offering over Cain's. 
And in fact, like with many things in Scripture, especially in Genesis, there's like whole books and chapters of commentaries written to speculate as to why this might have happened. Because in our rational brains, we need to be able to understand why it happened this way. And yet the story, the story doesn't tell us. And I can't help but wonder if maybe that's not the point of the story. In other words, it doesn't matter what the reason is. I wonder if the point of the story in part is, you know, sometimes that's how life is. Um, Sometimes there are people who seem to be uh, blessed. and, And why is it that sometimes when we see others blessed, we get resentful? Why is it sometimes when it seems as if someone offers a prayer and God seems to answer it, but he doesn't answer ours, we get upset? Why is it uh, that when someone else seems to be successful, it elicits a feeling of, of, of jealousy within us. I wonder if the point of the story is, in part, is for us to see in ourselves Cain's response. I don't know. I think I can put myself in his, in his shoes in, in some moments. But, but we see that Cain, um, Cain seems to pout, but not only does he pout, but he gets angry and he gets resentful or, or, or downcast, as some, um, some passages say. And, and, and I find it interesting. I find it interesting that God sees this situation And God goes to Cain. It's as if God sees where Cain's anger and resentment is heading. And God seeks to change what he he, he must know is in Cain's heart. God seeks to, to change that. And so God pursues Cain. He initiates a conversation with Cain. He asks Cain, why are you so upset. Why are you so angry? And we see that that Cain offers no response to God. It's as if God is kind of saying to Cain, you know, if, if you don't use this capacity that you now have to know the difference between good and evil, if, if, you, don't choose, if you choose good, all will be well. But if you choose wrong... It's just going to be a spiral. And in fact, the way the, way the story is told is God says that sin is working. Sin is waiting to pounce upon you. I, I find it interesting, this, this little bit of the story, because, you know, we often tell the story of Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We, we talk about uh, this aspect as if a sin is already invaded and infected every bit of human beings, and yet we see here God talking about sin as if it's something outside of Cain. It's not something that already has control of Cain. It is something that stands ready to infect Cain if he continues to choose to do what he wants to do instead of trusting God. God comes to Cain warning him. 
If you don't let go of this anger and resentment, if you act upon this anger and resentment, it will control and take you over. And God challenges Cain to control, to master this temptation. And so right here in the story, we see that we as human beings, we are not relegated to this this position where we cannot help ourselves, where there is something within us that causes us always and forever to always go against God's will. God challenges Cain right here. Do the right thing. Master that temptation. Don't allow it to overtake you or overcome you. Don't allow it to infect you so much that the image of God that has been placed within you can no longer be evident. And so he comes, he graciously warns Cain, he urges him to let go of his resentment, to consider an alternate response. We see God's Amazing grace as he comes to Cain, warning him that he is on the verge of real trouble. Challenging him to trust him. Cain has a choice. But the story seems to indicate Cain doesn't even respond to God's warning. Cain doesn't even speak After God's warning, the response is, Cain invites Abel to go out to the field. We can only hope that maybe it's an opportunity for reconciliation, but quickly we see he invites Abel to go out to the field, and then he attacks him like a wild animal, and he kills his younger brother. What a tragedy. And now Abel's Blood cries out from the very ground on which it is spilled on, cries out to God. And again, God comes to Cain. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of expect this is going to look really ugly. I kind of expect that God's ready to zap Cain. And yet the story tells us that God comes and rather, he begins by saying, Where is your brother? It's as if God wants to give Cain a chance to acknowledge what he has done, a chance to to repent and show some remorse for what he has done. Um, He comes offering him this opportunity, but from Cain we see no remorse, no repentance. In fact, what we see is a bold-faced lie. I don't know, God. Where is Abel? Let me suggest that lying to God is not a good thing. First of all, he already knows the truth. So if God comes and asks you a question, I'd suggest you just answer it truthfully. Cain hadn't got that message yet. Um, And in fact, he goes a little bit, I mean, not only does he say, I don't know, he says, am I supposed to be my brother's keeper? I mean, what the heck? Well, actually, he is the oldest. And truth be told, the answer to that is yes. Uh, but but he, he, doesn't even want to, uh, he doesn't even want to take on that responsibility. And so now, I don't know. If I, I, I mean, okay, he's, he's really going to get it now, right? The lightning bolt's going to come down and strike him, right? 
Again, that's not how God responds. I expect God to zap Cain, and yet that is not how God responds. That's not God's way. God does say, though, you're going to experience, you're going to experience this hardship. The ground that soaked up your brother's blood, this fertile ground, no longer is it going to yield crops for you when you work it. You can work it all you want and and no crops are going to grow. You're going to have to get your food some other way. And in fact, it seems to be that he's going to have to wander through life um, eating berries and maybe he'll have to learn uh, to to herd. I I, I don't know. Uh, But Listen to this. I I would hope at this point in time, I I would hope that I'd begin to uh, change the way that I think. But but what does Cain say in the face of this? He's killed his brother. And he says, oh God, I can hardly stand the punishment that you're giving me. I'm a farmer. The land has to yield crops for me. Ah, it's more than I can bear. I I don't know about you, but at this point, I'm not sure whether to laugh or to cry. And I wonder if that's not how we approach God's grace sometimes. Cain's selfish character shows through in this moment, and maybe we begin to understand why his sacrifice wasn't received in the first place. He begins to worry. The one who has killed his brother is now worried. Somebody else is going to kill me. Because, of course, if somebody had killed a friend of his, his first response would be to seek vengeance. And so he is afraid that he will be killed. Have we had enough of God's grace yet? I mean, maybe now God will say to Cain, "Ah, you don't have to worry about anybody else killing you. I'm going to zap you here. This God that we worship, he offers more grace to Cain. And he says, it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to kill you. In fact, I'm going to put a mark on your head. And people will know that they better not mess with you because if they do, I will zap the person who kills you. God's grace abounds. I can't help but think God offers this grace one more time, hoping just hoping that Cain might acknowledge what he has done, uh, turn and repent and show some remorse for what he has done. And the story says, Cain leaves God's presence. That is his response to the grace that God has poured out upon him. Apparently, he is now content to go live life outside the presence of God, or I, I, although I don't think that ever really happens, but him not acknowledging the presence of God, as long as he will live and not have to worry about dying. Cain never responds to God's grace with anything 
that would give us hope that, or that might lead to reconciliation or restoration. He never acknowledges the horrendous deed that he has committed. He keeps taking and receiving God's abounding grace over and over and over again and continuing to make poor choices. Continuing to go down a path that not only brings destruction to himself, but destructions to others. Cain had a choice. Things could have been different. If only Cain had listened to God and trusted God. Instead of always choosing to allow his own desires to win and to control him. Instead of allowing his anger and resentment to control him. Instead of trusting himself. Instead of allowing um, sin and death to infect him. Things could have been different. As we look at the rest of the stories here in Genesis and throughout Scripture, we find over and over that they are stories about God coming to humanity, offering His grace to us, saying, trust me, don't go in that direction, go this way, trust me, turn back to me. In fact, we're told in the New Testament, we're told that Jesus comes and he says, the light has come. That you might walk in the light and yet humans choose to walk in the darkness. We choose to continue to hear God's abounding grace warning us. And yet rather than walking in the light, we choose to live in the darkness. God's grace can abound. But if we do not respond in ways that cause us to turn toward God and to trust God, even if God's grace saves us from the most horrendous car wreck, if it doesn't impact our lives, then we just continue in our ways. God comes to us this day in this story. He invites us to hear him speak to us today. We wonder why the world is the way it is. And God says, why Are you so resentful of other people's success? God comes to us in this day and in this place. And he says, why? Why do you feel the need to dehumanize and ridicule and shame people who disagree with you? Or who are different from you? God comes 
And he says, why do we continue to insist on accumulating and consuming uh, as much as we can for ourselves? God comes to us and he says, why are we so fearful that there won't be enough for us? And we are so afraid to share of our abundance with those who lack. God comes to us today and he says, why do we insist on characterizing those with whom we disagree as being evil or demonic or unpatriotic or unchristian? God comes to us today challenging each of us in deep, different spots and in different places, wanting the very best for us, encouraging us to turn from our selfish ways and to turn to God and to trust God and to follow God. The story of Cain and Abel, it could have been different. God's grace continued to be poured upon him. Our story, your story, it can be different if we will listen to God's grace and instead of offering up more bold-faced lies, instead of continuing down our own pathway, if we turn to God and trust Him and live according to His ways, a way that shows compassion and love to others, a way that seeks to live in harmony with one another and all of creation, a pathway that seeks to truly live and love like Jesus did when He walked this earth. May we this day, may we hear God's grace and experience His grace and respond in a much different way than Cain. Amen. Now as the choir comes forward, I'm going to invite you as they, um, they're, they're going to sing, um, His Eye is on the Sparrow. And, and as they lead us in this anthem, I just invite each of us in the midst of hearing of God's care for us, that we allow the Spirit to speak to us so that we might understand where God's grace and how God's grace is calling us to respond and to change and to turn around.